119 in the Bibles in front of you. And so I want to encourage you to follow along as we make progress through this Bible book of Judges. Uh, as you know, last week we talked about the fact that God brought his people safely to the boundaries of the promised land. And when he did, God commanded four things that they needed to do before they possessed the land. The first thing was they needed to utterly destroy the nations of the land. Secondly, they needed to make no peace treaties with them. Thirdly, they needed to refuse to intermarry with the people of that land. And fourthly, they needed to completely destroy any trace of their pagan religions. Now, my question was to myself, why would God go to such drastic measures to allow his people to enter the promised land? Well, the reason was is that God wanted Israel, God wanted his people to be different. To be different from all the other nations that were around them. God had chosen them, God saved them, God blessed them, and God promised them victory if. God promised them victory if they would walk with him in holiness. Friend, are you walking with God today in holiness? God knew that if Israel became entangled with the world around them, if uh, Israel became entangled with the Canaanites, they would surely become corrupt spiritually and they would ultimately walk away from God. True to God's word, Israel's failure to defeat their enemies resulted in them living among their enemies. And after a while, guess what happened? They became like their enemies. They began adopting the ways of the nations. And they began worshiping their false gods. So when God's judgment came, as it always does on sin, eventually the people would realize, you know what? This is my fault. It's my fault. And so what would they do? They would repent. They would seek the Lord. And when they did, God would forgive them. And God would raise up a deliverer. God would raise up a leader, what the Bible calls a judge. And that judge, were there were men and women judges. And these men and women were called by God to rescue Israel from their, their oppressive enemies, but also to help God's people live for God. So the book of Judges can help you and I today. It can help us today because in the pages of Judges, we see that Israel faced some of the same problems me and you face. They faced physical enemies. So do we. They faced problems from the world, problems from the flesh, and problems from the devil. And guess what? So do we. So as we look at this book of Judges over the next few weeks, I want you to see that God is still looking. 
God is still looking for men and women that he can use in our day. He's no longer looking for judges, mind you. But listen, God is looking for leaders. God is looking for men and women that he can use to stem the tide of evil. God is looking for those who will rise up and take a stand for God. God is looking for people that he can use to change the world for his glory. And guess what? You might be the one that God is looking for. Did you hear me, church? You might be the one that God is looking for to change the world. With all this in mind, I want to introduce you to a man, a man named Othniel, who became the first judge in Israel. And after a little bit of an introduction, uh, we'll meet him firsthand. But in the book of Judges, page 219 in your Bibles, beginning in chapter 3, the Bible reads as follows. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it, namely, against the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, all the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he, God, might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord by which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And this is how the children of Israel responded, verse 5. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. And so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Reshethim, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan, Reshethim, for eight years. And when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel. Say Othniel. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel and he judged Israel and he went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan, Reshethim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan, Reshethim. And so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Have you ever wondered if God wanted his people 
to not live amongst the Canaanites if God didn't want his people living amongst those wicked inhabitants, why didn't God destroy them himself? Why didn't he wipe them out before they entered the promised land? Well, verses 1 through 4 tell us exactly why God left those nations, why he allowed those nations to be left, and it's basically two reasons. In verses 1 and 4, we find that God left them there to test his people. He left them there to test Israel. God tested them to see how they would live among wicked people. He tested them to see if they would keep his commandments as Moses gave them to him. But can I tell you, they failed miserably. And the second reason that God left them there left those nations there, was to teach them about spiritual warfare. God wanted his people to learn about fighting the enemy. God wanted his people to learn about standing up against evil, against standing up, for standing up against those enemies that were in the land. Can I tell you that they miserably failed in that test too. They proved that they couldn't be trusted to stand up against the enemies of God. And so today I want you to see how God delivered Israel from the, the time of cruel bondage by raising up a judge, a man named Othniel. Now the name Othniel means the power of God. And so we're going to see today the power of God revealed. But before we get into Othniel, we have to be reminded of what God's people were up to. Because in the beginning, beginning in verse 5 there, we find that God's people were turning their backs on God. God's people were turning their backs on God. Verse 5, and thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and all them other sites, amen. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. And so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. These verses give us the ugly details of Israel's first great failure in the promised land. And friend, what Israel was doing then, people all around us are doing now. What did they do that was so bad? Well, they turned their backs on God. They turned their backs on the word of God. And they turned their backs on the will of God. Why? To do what they wanted to do. To do what was right in their own eyes. How did they do that? How did they go about doing that which was right in their own eyes? Well, the first thing is they began to interact with the enemy. They interacted with the Canaanites. The Bible says that the children of Israel, look here, dwelt among the Canaanites. God commanded them to destroy those people. Not to go over there and live among them. They were enemies, not neighbors. And here's the problem. Israel was chosen. Israel was redeemed. 
Israel was set apart and God expected them to remain separate from the world that he had given them. Can I remind you that God calls all of his redeemed people to come out from among them and be separate. Friend, are you separate from the world that you live in? God loved us. God cares for us. God sent his son to die for us. God redeemed us. Therefore, we were bought at a price. And we are no longer our own. We belong to God. So when we refuse to walk in the will of God, when we refuse to honor the word of God, then we're going to face a terrible, terrible discipline in our lives. It's a dangerous thing for the child of God. It's a dangerous thing for the redeemed of the Lord to live like the world around him. But they didn't stop there. Because not only did they interact with the enemy, they also intermarried with the enemy. After a while, God's people got so used to dwelling among the enemy, they began to intermarry with those that God had strictly forbidden them never to marry. Maybe they said something like this. These Canaanites, they're not as bad as we were told. These enemies are not monsters at all. Their women make really good devoted wives. And really there's no reason why we should not marry them. Maybe, maybe we can change them. Famous last words, amen? Because we know that Israel found out that they're the ones that got changed, not the Canaanites. And the same danger applies to us today. Yes, we must interact with the world so that we can be a spiritual light to them. But boy, we sure do have to be careful to keep our spiritual distance. When we get too close to the world around us, we can find ourselves entangled with their sins. And can I tell you this? That walking with the world is but one short little step to living like the world. So... God's chosen people, the redeemed of God, were interacting with the enemy. They intermarried with the enemy. But then they committed idolatry with the enemy. It was just a short hop from living among the enemy to marrying the enemy to going and worshiping with the enemy. Perhaps they said something like this. Well, you got to know that when you marry a Canaanite girl, you just got to understand how they are. Amen? They were brought up differently than us. I mean, you got to allow them to bring in their gods into the family. I mean, it's just part of their culture. But what you have here, friend, is a group of the redeemed of the Lord, a group of God's chosen people 
who have gone from worshiping God and fighting evil to abandoning God and sleeping with the enemy. It's exactly what happened. And what's worse is this. They took their precious sons and daughters. They took their precious sons and daughters and they handed them over to the very people that they had been commanded to destroy. Did you know that we're facing the same danger today? Did you know that the same danger confronts some backsliding Christians today? When we refuse to maintain our distance from the world. When we continually yoke ourselves to the people and the things of this world. Do you know what we're doing? We're basically sacrificing the next generation. We're sacrificing the next generation to the gods of this world. We're teaching our kids it's okay to disregard God. You didn't say it, but that's what your actions show. Your actions say that it's okay to disregard the Word of God. It's okay not to come to His house. It's okay not to worship God. It's okay to be disobedient to the will of God. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying when we yoke ourselves to the people and things of this world. We're telling them they're free. Free to chart their own course as they wish according to what's right in their own eyes. And we know that's not what God commands his people to do. But his chosen people interacted with the enemy intermarried with the enemy, committed idolatry with the enemy, but then they also became indifferent with these Canaanites. Each step took them farther and farther from the Lord. Did you notice what verse 7 said? Verse 7 said that God's people forgot the Lord their God. Forgot the Lord their God. Forgot means that God's chosen ones reached a place where they simply began to ignore God. I know a lot of Christians that ignore God. Forgot means that these chosen ones reached a place where they ceased to care. What God said. You know anybody like that? And I'm not just talking about lost people, y'all. I'm talking about believers. For God means that they had reached a place of total indifference toward the Lord. And of course, sadly, that's exactly where many are today. As far as some people are concerned, for that matter, as far as some Christians are concerned, God don't matter. They may not say it, but their actions prove it. 
As far as some people are concerned, believers and non-believers alike in some cases, God may as well not even exist. They don't say it, but boy, the way they act sure proves it. Can I tell you, that is the most dangerous place you can find yourself. Where God's word doesn't matter. So God had turned their backs on God. And I wonder, when we turn our backs on God, what are we facing? When we turn our backs on God, what are we facing? Well, verse 8 says that we're facing the discipline of God. Verse 8 says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Reshethium, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Reshethium eight years. Charles Spurgeon once said, God never allows his people to sin successfully. In other words, you might do it. But you ain't getting away with it forever. What was the price that Israel, God's chosen, God's redeemed, what was the price that they had to pay for disobeying and rebelling against the word of God? Well, first I think we need to look at what the focus of God's discipline was. The focus of God's discipline. The Bible says that the anger of the Lord was hot, y'all. Against Israel. You see, God was not furious with the Canaanites. He was not furious with the enemy. Yes, he hated their sin. But they were lost people. And what do lost people do? Lost people act like lost people. They didn't have God's law. They had not been redeemed by the Lord. And they had not been commanded, look, to be different. No. God's anger was directed at his people. And they were about to be disciplined for it. Now, friend, listen up. If you're a born-again believer, if you are saved and you choose to walk away from God, if you choose to do what's right in your own eyes, listen up, there's going to be a price to pay. I'm sorry, but there's going to be a price to pay. God will discipline you. Are you hearing me, church? God will discipline you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if he's not disciplining you for your sins, for your rebellion, 
then maybe you're not in the place you think you are with God. God doesn't discipline you to hurt you. God disciplines us so that we can get back where we need to be with him. That's the focus of God's discipline. Oh, it's loving. It's a loving discipline. But y'all, it is some kind of fierce too. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at the fierceness of God's discipline. There at the end of verse 8, the Bible says that God sold Israel. God sold Israel. God gave Israel over into the hands of this pagan king. Now this king's name was Cushan Reshethium. And Cushan Reshethium means a man from Cush who is doubly wicked. A man from Cush who is doubly wicked. So if Israel did not want to follow God's rule in their lives, he would allow them to be ruled by a harsh, doubly wicked, pagan king. If Israel wanted their sin, if Israel wanted to do what was right in their own eyes, if Israel wanted to worship these false gods, then God would give them everything they wanted and more. And the same danger faces some of us today. You see, some of us here today even, some of us listening today are not as close to the Lord as we once were. Some of us have not been attending worship like we used to. Oh, we may come on Sunday mornings, but our heart seems to be far from worshiping God. Maybe we've been deceived by the wealth of the world. Maybe we've been deceived by the false gods of the world. You know, some of us are just not committed to Christ like we used to. Maybe some of us don't spend that, that precious, quiet time with the Lord every day like we used to. Or maybe, maybe we don't pray and converse with Almighty God the way we used to not long ago. It seems that there's some other things that have taken God's place. Other gods, if you will. It seems that there are little things that have taken his place, like our pleasures. Little things have taken God's place, like our desires. What we want. Other things have taken God's place, like maybe what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. So, whatever it is for you this morning, you know what it is, don't you? It's been keeping you from the way that perhaps it used to be. Well, listen up, church. Don't be surprised 
if those little things become so prevalent in your life that they become tyrants in your life. And because they cheat you of a quality relationship with the Lord, they can become doubly wicked for you. So friend, if you're fearing the crop that you might be reaping, the time to change is now. The time to change is today before you experience the fierceness of God's discipline. But the Bible also tells us that not only is the discipline of God fierce, but it's also full. The fullness of God's discipline. We know that God had sold them into slavery to this Cushion Reshethim. But God left them there, get this y'all, for eight long years. They were disciplined as slaves. God allowed them to feel the full measure of what their sin had cost them. So what kind of price might you have to pay for your sin? Well, you need to know that as blood-bought, heaven-bound, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not going to be judged for your sin because your sin was judged at the cross. Because Jesus bore the penalty of my sin and your sin, we won't have to pay the price of sin on judgment day. That's good news, amen? But what price will you pay in the here and now? That's a different story, isn't it? What price will you pay today? What price will your family pay today? What price will your children pay today? You see, because when you're, when you're sold into slavery to a doubly wicked world... You lack power in the here and now. Think about it. You lack power in the here and now to help other people come to the Lord. You lack power when you're sold into the slavery to sin to pray like you should. You lack power to understand the word of God like you could. And when you're sold under slavery to this doubly wicked world, then you're also lacking power to be who God created you to be and who God saved you to be. Someone said, I think it was Adrian Rogers, said that sin will take you farther than you want to go. That it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. That's the truth, y'all. And I listen to what God is saying to you today. God's people turned their backs on him. But God's people were also disciplined by him. But I was reminded after this of a word we shared last week. 
a great and glorious word. The word is nevertheless. Even though you've turned your back on him, and even though he's disciplined you, nevertheless, God's people were sent a deliverer by him. God's people were delivered by him. Look in verse 9, there in Judges chapter 3. For when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. See, they were being disciplined. And they cried out to the Lord. Amen. Like I used to do with my mama. Mama, don't do it. Amen. Praise God. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Why didn't you raise up a deliverer when I was being whooped by my mama? Amen. But the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the power of God revealed, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan, Reshethim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan, Reshethim. And so the land had rest for 40 years under Othniel. And then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So when God's people came to their senses... When God's people had that wake-up call and they came to themselves, what did they do? They cried out to God. They called on the Lord God Almighty. And here's the good news. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. God heard them. They came to their senses and they cried out to God. And God heard them. And God raised up for them the first judge, the first deliverer, the first rescuer. The first savior, Othniel. Now we're told that Othniel is the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So that made Othniel Caleb's nephew. Now, you remember who Caleb was. Caleb was one of two of 12 spies that God sent into the promised land. And of those 12 spies that came back, there wasn't but two that said, by faith, yes, Lord, we're going to do what you told us to do. It was Joshua and Caleb. And Othniel was Caleb's nephew. So that makes Othniel kind of an old guy. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that in here, but it makes Othniel an older gentleman. Amen. Some believe that he was 75 years old when he became a judge. But he was a man of great courage. He obviously had a strong tie to the forefathers who went into the promised land. He was battle tested. He made himself available. And God chose him. God chose him. Friend, listen. Othniel ought to remind me and you that God can use anyone. Including you. God can use anyone, regardless of how old or young you are, regardless of how wretched or righteous your past has been, regardless of who you are, God can use you for his glory if you are available. Truly, the greatest ability is availability in the hands of God. Friend, are you available today? Are you available to make a difference 
for the glory of God. But it's also important to see that Othniel was useful to the Lord for this primary reason. The Bible said there in verse 10, I believe, yes, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see, by himself, Othniel did not possess what it took to defeat that wicked, doubly wicked king. But when the Spirit of the Lord took control of him, God did great things in him. So it wasn't Othniel that delivered Israel. God delivered Israel through Othniel. And that's the same thing he'll do through you. By ourselves, we too are incapable. Incapable of serving God like he deserves. The only way that you or I are ever useful to or usable by the Lord is when we submit and when we are controlled by the Spirit of the living God just like Othniel. It's the Spirit of the living God, y'all. It's the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who enables you to stand against your enemies. It's the Spirit of God within you who empowers you to serve others for the glory of God. And so the secret, the secret to harnessing the power of God is yielding to the Holy Spirit. It was God that enabled Othniel to rescue Israel from that doubly wicked king. It was God, y'all, who empowered Othniel to lead God's people, get this, for the next 40 years. That's a long time, amen? 40 years, this 75-year-old judge led God's people. So in essence, God gave Othniel victory in his life. Why? Because Othniel gave himself to the Lord. Now, at my 40-year anniversary here at Bethel, I'm going to be 82 years old, praise God. Amen? And I don't know if I'm going to get booted out by then. Maybe I'll wish that I had. But here's what I want to be able to say. Did I give myself to the Lord so that the Lord could use me for his glory. Friend, do you want the Lord to use you for his glory? Do you want to see him do great things in your life? Do you want to see the, the yoke of worldliness and the yoke of compromise broken through you? Do you want your family delivered from years and years of generational curses of sin? And do you want victory? Victory in your life. If you do, I'm telling you, yield to the Lord like Othniel did. Allow the Lord to lead you. Allow the Lord to control you. And guess what will happen? He will use you for his glory. So would you like to be used by God in greater ways? To influence people? Would you like to be used by God in greater ways to make a difference in the lives of others? Would you like to be 
just more dedicated to God? Friend, I'm telling you, if God has been dealing with you about your walk with him, maybe he wants to use you for his glory. So if he's calling you today, my encouragement to you is just obey his voice. Just obey his voice. Come get the help you need. Because getting the help you need is the first step to victory. Just like Othiel. Now who's willing today to come and pray uh, as Bubba did last week? Who would come and pray today for his victory in our life and in the life of our church? Who? Anyone at all? Who would come and pray? I got all day. Bubba, I'm going to give somebody else an opportunity. You want to come and pray? Joan will come and pray. Come on, sis. So Joan's going to pray for God to use us in our lives and use our church for his glory. Amen. Make this prayer personal. And after you're done, then I'll close this in prayer. Okay, sis? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. And Lord, I just humbly pray that we would turn our lives over to you in every, every bit of it, not just part of it. Mm. And God, that we would Remember that when we go through these doors. Not just do it here, but do it everywhere we go. That we might influence people to come to love you and, and open eyes to what's going on and the evil that's in this world. Lord, we know with your help, mm. we can overcome it. And we pray, God, that that'll happen in our lives, in our church, and in our country. Thank you, Jesus, mm. for all you do for us every day. And help us to remember who we are, what we are, and what we need to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father God, I do praise you and thank you for the ways that you've used your people throughout the centuries. But Father, our focus today is on this generation, this century. And Father, my prayer is, is that each one of us here today and each one of us listening in would realize that they were saved, that we are saved for one primary reason.